0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The intent with any of these loving kindness practices is really to cultivate this sense of actually this this felt sense of the heart that cares, right? So using the imagination, images, words, sometimes just an energetic sense of a person or even a place or a place in nature sometimes works, but using that image to feel the capacity of the heart. To, and when we can feel it, oh, this heart knows how to care, then we can learn to trust that, trust that it's possible to care and trust that that capacity to care is maybe not too far away, actually. It can sometimes seem in our life, you probably know this just like I do, that whatever is flowing through the heart and the mind can be intense. Anger, resentment, for example. And it can feel in those moments like, well, loving kindness is really far away. But we can see that with a little just, you know, a little intention. A little cultivation, even over a very short period of time, rel- relatively speaking, like a half an hour is not a lot of time out of our lives, that it's possible for the heart to care, right? And that sense of like, oh, this is right here, and it's possible in this moment, hopefully leads us to have a little bit of faith that it might be possible, possible in another moment even a moment where it might feel harder or out of reach. I had this moment when I was um, having a, dis- a disagreement with a loved one. An argument or a fight might, you know, be uh, more honest. <laughs> so whatever you want, whatever word you want to use to describe it. but. A disagreement and i felt this kind of strong sense of or this strong is it, it felt like anger uh, but more actually like the flavor of resistance than anger so and as that strong force arose in the heart there was a sense of like oh i really care about this life and from that strength of love right that was right beneath right next to that force of Anger or resistance that was there, then there was a, a strength of my words that emerged, right? And I said something like, "You you can't talk to me like that. It's not okay to talk to me like that." But it was a different expression than if it would have been a reactive anger. You know, if anger would have expressed itself in a reactive way without any awareness. So love can have lots of flavors, and really can the cult- cultivating this kind of loving kindness or kindness or capacity c- to care can show up in moments when we might be surprised, right? It, it surprised me, that strength of, that it really felt like love in that moment, like, oh, I really, I care about myself enough to say, no, this is not okay. That was a strong, like fierceness of love in that moment. So I want to talk a little bit more tonight before I open it up to more questions and comments because that's really fun when there's more of us talking and listening, right? Because then we get to feel the sense of our collective wisdom and caring energy in the room and that's better than just feeling the force of my own mixed bag of wisdom and delusion in the room. So I've been exploring Metta and all of its flavors for a while now. I sometimes lead the weekly practice groups, often on Wednesday nights. I'm alongside Mark Nunberg, who's the guiding teacher here. And so we've been exploring Metta for months now. So I've been curious about, you know, all the ways to understand or feel the force of love in my life. Sometimes simplifying these bigger teachings into like a single word or a phrase really helps me kind of feel like to feel what that's like. So simplifying the teaching about loving kindness to the heart that cares, or simply to love. Now those words might not do it for you, but you get to explore what words do it for you, right? And then if that makes sense, if it feels useful, you can also use those words instead of using the words that are um, maybe more traditional or something like that, if they don't land. So exploring what it really means to be a student of love or the heart that cares. And when I say be a student of love, really take it up as a practice in my life to get interested in love and its expressions and love and what's not love. So getting curious in my life as I go through my daily life, not just in my formal practice, but as I walk through my life and just wanting, setting the intention to be awake to love. Like, oh, what is love? Is love going to show up today? And if so, may I meet it? May I get close and understand it? May I learn what it has to teach or something like that? So just walking through my life with this kind of intention... And I've also been curious about um, what it means to embrace the feminine. So exploring love, these practices of loving kindness alongside waking up and embracing, reclaiming the feminine. And the Brahma Vaharas are all of the practices of loving kindness, so there are four of them loving kindness, which is just this heart that cares, the felt sense of the heart that cares. And then there's uh, compassion, or the heart that cares when it knows suffering, or stress, or difficulty, or pain, right? Like when the heart, when you come face to face with someone in your life, or you're some, some someone in your life who's struggling, or maybe it's yourself that's struggling, and your heart goes, oh, I can really care about this, I can really take it in, and be intimate with this pain and care about that, right? Not necessarily to fix it or to resolve it, but just to feel it and to know it and to care about it. That's the expression of compassion. And then the third of these practices is the practice of um, appreciative joy or sympathetic joy. And that's just this heart that can feel, that can really care and delight in someone else's good fortune maybe their wisdom or generosity, or you know, it's like the sense of delighting in a, the qualities of a teacher or mentor or dear friend. Like, oh, I'm so glad you exist in the world and I'm willing to acknowledge the gifts that you've offered me and my life and the world. Right? That might be an expression of mudita. Uh, mudita, or sympathetic joy. Mudita is just a funny word. It's a Pali word, um, the language that was spoken at the time of the Buddha. And then the fourth expression of loving kindness is equanimity. And equanimity is really this strength or this force, this strength, this balance that allows us to meet even the most difficult experiences in life. So those moments when the heart is able to break and really feel the pain, fear or anger or grief, separation, a loss, like those moments when the heart is like says yes to that experience
1: and is able to be there with
0: it, right? That's equanimity. It's the heart that can stand up in the middle of all this. And there's so many expressions of this in the world, in our lives and in the world that we live in. We can look, we might call it resiliency. So human beings are really resilient. I work at a school and there was a very difficult situation that happened this week. And I was so moved by the way that the teenagers, these high school students, processed and worked through all their feelings around it. You know, and still stayed in community and really were invested in staying in community. Just one expression of equanimity or resiliency. And so we might think about these qualities of the heart as feminine or maybe an an expression of the feminine. And often in practice and in the world, uh, For sure, in Western culture, we tend to overemphasize maybe some of the masculine qualities here in the West, for sure, these masculine qualities of energy of doing or analyzing, being really logical and intellectual, fast or competitive, right, going out and getting something, that effort. But the feminine really embraces the being qualities right, the receptive qualities of the heart, the intuitive, the creative, This, the qualities of allowing, cooperation, of surrendering to the truth, right? So you can see how compassion and surrendering to the truth of this pain or whatever this difficulty is, and the heart that's able to break and still be there, you know, have find that source of strength or equanimity that allows us to go, oh yeah, it's like this, right? You can see how that has all of the qualities of the feminine infused. Surrendering, allowing, oh, it's like this. I'm just gonna be here with this. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fix it or resolve it. And I recognize that these binary terms aren't perfect. Right? So just to say that, and they're not about gender either. So masculine and feminine qualities of the heart are in everyone, in all of us. And we can kind of see where we're, um, where we're out of balance. Like maybe we lean towards the masculine or we lean towards the feminine, but we actually need a balance of both, right? We have to have some doing energy, some effort, some motivation, right? That allows us to be upright, to keep taking steps in our life. And then we have to have that kind of quality that as we're moving along, we're able to just be and ah, feel this, right? So we need a balance of both. So this being a student of love, getting really interested in love and all of its expressions is really being a student of the divine feminine, right? We might say that as well. We might say that right alongside being a student of love. Like, oh, what's it like to be a student of the divine feminine to really feel and get in touch with these energies of allowing, of being, of surrendering in our lives? What does it mean moment to moment? And not as a theoretical hypothesis or something, but as a lived experience. Like what's it like in the morning when I get up to be a student of the divine feminine? Or what's it like when I'm having dinner with my family? Or when I'm driving to work? or when I'm in a conflict with someone I love, or when I'm feeling really lonely? What's it like to be a student of love? Is it possible to actually bring in these energies? And are they supportive? Like, that's what it means to be a student. And we all come to this work from different places. So one of the ways that we can learn to get in touch with this, to be a student of love, is to, you know, not one of the ways, but what we're called to do is to really embrace all of our life and what it means to be human. And part of that practice is getting in touch with our emotional experiences. right? This experience of metta or loving kindness or compassion or appreciative joy whatever flavor of love equanimity has a often a felt sense in the heart that's that is uh connected to our emotional well-being right do you notice that did you notice that in the in the practice this earlier that it might feel like oh, uh, close to something right like the heart that cares you might call it something like oh i feel Happy or content, or this is what love feels like. It feels like an emotional component there, right? So we need to learn how to embrace our emotional lives as part of the one of the as one of the doors that we walk through on the way to liberation or on the path to liberation. Often we want to, you know. Go to the liberation, but not walk through all the doors that we need to walk through to get there right. And in fact, the Buddha learned this that that embracing the feminine was essential on the path. I don't know if I've told the story a couple times recently, so I apologize if you heard it already, but I've been reflecting quite often on the story um, of sujata in the in the text in the in the teachings or the the stories that were collected at the time of the Buddha. There's the story of this woman who w- was making this porridge and offered the Buddha this meal um, on the night of his awakening. So he wasn't the Buddha yet. He wasn't the Buddha until he awakened. So he was a bodhisattva or a really wise being who was on the path, right? Just like you are on the path. So, the, at the time, the Buddha was practicing all these intense ascetic practices. He was practicing with these people who were, um, you know, depriving the body of its, what it needs. So, he wasn't eating really more than, I think he said, one grain of rice. You don't really know if that stuff is true, but you can imagine that he wasn't really eating. The, the value was to conquer the body, right? So, really embracing the masculine like doing, pushing through, conquering the body, transcending the body, not being in the body or with the body, right? It was this kind of pursuant energy. So on the day, this day that he encountered Sujata, the Buddha was so emaciated, he was skinny. If you see some pictures, if you like Google Sujata and there's some sometimes this pictures of the Buddha with like ribs and you know, or drawings, not real pictures, but drawings depicting this state <laughs> like ribs and sunken belly and sunken cheeks and just like barely hanging on, hair all mangled, right? Probably looked awful. One of the, the ways the story is told like he stands up, he can barely, barely has enough energy to be alive, he falls over trying to use the bathroom. So it's at at the state that he encounters Sujata. So Sujata is spending all day making this porridge, right? She's like really a labor of love, kind of like you made your soup or maybe salad. Or maybe somebody made it for you this way. But anyway, she's making this wonderful dish and somebody tells her that there's a a deity outside under the tree and she has this bowl of porridge and she goes out and she offers it to him and he eats it. So now he's like a radical experimenter really embracing these masculine qualities of doing and pushing forward and at this moment he decides to eat the porridge, right? And he's sitting there and taking it in and it was a, you know, as the story is told, it really changed everything for the Buddha. Like embracing pleasant, being willing to accept or allow in, you know, something that would be maybe nourishing, that would be supportive, accepting the gift, this generous offering from someone, right? Those are kind of aspects of the feminine, supportive, supportive energies. So it takes it in, eats the food, it feels good. And the Buddha then embraces and, and learns, like, oh, this is not the way. This heart is out of balance, right? And so then he goes around and he's doing all this, like, connecting with the earth, finding trees, and doing this devotional practice with the trees. Right. So this, it's a, it's an important story to me because it, for one, uh, it points to how You know, our job is to be, to experiment with what works and notice when the heart is out of balance in some way and then be willing to experiment again and find out what brings the heart back into balance, right? What supports a decreasing of suffering? What leads to less suffering? What leads to freedom? Where do we taste freedom? Do we taste freedom in exclusively striving or exclusively embracing soft, the kind of softness? Or is it some way, is it some middle path, right? Is it some middle path? And for some of us, that middle path might involve being willing to embrace difficult feelings, right? Like anger, for example. Often in Buddhist communities that I've been a part of, it can seem like there's this underlying taboo about if you get angry, then you're not quite doing it right, right? And that's just not true. Anger is a normal human emotion. And as a student of love, It's our job to get close to all of our experiences, all of the expressions of what it means to be human, all of our emotional experiences, including anger, including resentment, including terror or fear, and including happiness and joy and all of those feelings too. And so noticing where we're out of balance, like what do we notice more often, right? Is it, where do I lean? I know for myself, fear, anxiety have been easy emotions to feel. But anger, irritation, even resistance has been harder. So I've been really curious about that lately. Like, oh, what's it like to feel anger? And how many flavors of anger is there? And it, can it be okay to feel anger? And it feels like uh, liberating to actually claim my life in this way to say like oh sweetie here you belong here like all of this belongs here because you belong here this is what it means to be human it's not something that anger or rage even is not something that we have to pretend doesn't exist now anger is a strong emotion. And in my experience, there seems to be a very, there seems to be some similarity between the strength of anger and the strength of fierce love, right? So that moment that I was talking about in conflict with someone I loved, and that kind of strong force, that resistance or anger that may have arisen in the heart, but that willingness to meet it or get interested in it was what preceded that ability to actually care, right? So it was the willingness to meet that moment, to meet that emotional expression that was there, that was being revealed, that allowed that meeting it, which allowed for the emergence of love, like, oh, I feel this, this is intense, and I care about myself, so I'm going to say you can't talk to me like that, right? But if I wasn't able to meet that moment, if I wasn't, if I was too afraid of anger, or if I had some idea that anger was wrong or off limits on this Buddhist path, then it might have caught me off guard, right? Because anger is going to show up, and if we're not used to being willing to meet it, then it might just express itself with some reactivity, which I have experienced, like probably most of us have. Like that moment when anger is there, and you just, ah, say something really stupid in that moment, right? Like, ah, not enough wisdom, not enough awareness to actually be with the anger. That's what that's like. This is a wonderful book called Time to Stand Up by Tanishra. And I want to read this. I've read this to myself like uh, a lot of times. I find it so moving. For women who are heavily socialized over millennia to be accommodating, nice, pretty, and enabling, anger is particularly shamed. In religious hierarchical and patriarchal systems such as Buddhist monasticism, which have informed most lay Buddhist movements at systemic and philosophical levels, women are marginalized and the full use of their energy is not engaged the full use of their energy right and if we think about this feminine the like the divine feminine and also about embracing all of our lives imagining that all of these energies the force the strength of anger is a necessary life force energy right so the full force of their energy is not engaged An aspect of the wise, unchained feminine is transmuted anger into fierce truth-telling and protective compassion. Rather than shaping herself into a pretzel in service of distorted and immature power, which leaves her muted, manipulative, frustrated, damaged, and damaging, women can recognize the primordial root of luminous, fierce compassion through the liquid fire experienced in their bodies demonized by the word anger. Right? (laughs) There's more. (laughs) This energy distilled into clarity and wisdom burns away the dross, is that how you say that? Dross. Of our self-seeking desires and fears. It cuts through a primary split we carry into our life as Dharma practitioners, which is our subtle addiction to transcendence and calm states, based not in maturity but on but on our, our own tra- our original traumas that are to do with separation, vulnerability and fear. What do you think about that? So with that, I'd like <laughs> to open it up to hear what you think. <laughs> yeah. There's a mic somewhere. Tim, right
2: here. Good evening. My name is Tim. I, I, um, I've thought about the masculine, feminine thing a lot, and I have a hard time, I have a hard time kind of understanding it. because uh, I don't know why it, it kind of seems kind of why a woman wouldn't be analytical or why a man wouldn't be sensitive that just like is not my experience growing up i guess because my parents are kind of more reverse roles like that so that wasn't the way that wasn't what was modeled to me but anyway on a more like experiential level I had like three girlfriends in a row and each of them, this is 10 years ago, and each of them was really involved in either nature or gardening. And I picked up a little bit from that each time and like now I'm single and I find myself way more interested in those things. And like finding, taking care of plants is like very balancing activity in my life. And I also don't feel nearly the same compulsion to be in a relationship as I used to. Just because I have that, I like picked that up from those people. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I understand, that's my own experience, how I understand it. And uh, like, even though I don't fully understand it, like the way you're talking about I like I understand it in my own way. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that. I love that you you learn to take care of plants and film that connection that way and just to be clear I'm not talking about men and women not talking about gender at all I'm just talking about masculine energies that are available in every human being regardless of gender right so embracing the mass the feminine energies that often get neglected in a Western culture especially that's a lot more infatuated with the intellectual or the doing elements.
3: My name is Robert. Um, I have a unusual take on the masculine and feminine uh, in that um, I've been trying to use words to... Um, affirm myself in a positive way, and I can only come up with dude. <laughs> and I can't say honey or sweetie or all those terms. However, uh, and this is very revealing, so I'll do this at great risk. Um, I was watching the Billboard Awards uh, on television this week. Um, their music awards that are given And um, I like music a lot. And all of a sudden, there were two songs that evening, and I was crying through both of them. Um, And they were very poignant. They were mostly about, I can't even tell you now, Uh, they were about someone realizing their own vulnerability. um, And... um, I just, this is not the first time this has happened. It happens quite regularly. But I'm always surprised by it. uh, Because uh, I'm probably the very masculine. However, I found a place to let, I would say, the crying as a feminine, let that through as well. I'm not afraid of it. It just is a different experience, and it's quite nice, I mean, in addition to um, the masculine. So I don't think I'm lost there. I, there's a kind of balance going on, but it always is surprising to me.
0: Thanks, Robert. Yeah, I, I love it that you pointed to music, right? That music is so important. can often be, any of the arts actually be something that evokes an emotional experience or help us get in touch with that. Time for maybe one more. Back
1: in the back. Hi, my name is Kermit. Um, I kind of did my own thing when I during the sit here, and that might have been because I came in a little bit late. Um, you talked about different ways of experiencing love. I'm really glad I came here tonight. I've been uh dealing with some afflictive emotions, the kind of stuff that keeps you awake all night, you know. And uh I sat here and I started reflecting on my deceased father, who um who God, he's just just the kindest, most selfless person that I know. And I really didn't realize that when I was younger, but um it was just doing that it gave me such an embodied presence, just a profound embodied presence. I don't think I'm like communicating with him or something like that, but it's just, there's something in my genes or my bones or something. It was just like really, um, really warming and really comforting. And, um, after, after experiencing that, I can see why I Hans, um, Version of Buddhism, Vietnamese Buddhism, really incorporates some um, um, ancestor worship, and there's a real there's a real embodiment in there. So it was it was a real, real different um, experience of meta. But um, I, I kind of feel like I have like a refuge there now or something, you know. So anyway, thank you.
0: Thank you, and we'll pass it over to Sharon for announcements. Thanks, everyone.